I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn died 36 years ago this month. Roy Cohn was Trump's first mentor, his attorney from 1973 through 1985. Defended him, cut a deal when the government charged Trump with racist rental practices. Reportedly, it was Roy Cohn who introduced Trump to an immigrant businessman trying to make his move in this country in the early 1980s, a man named Rupert Murdoch. Thoughts of Roy Cohn encourage me to remind you again of what I referenced here last Friday about the inference that Trump stole top-secret classified documents related to nuclear weapons. Namely, that as recently as 1953, this country executed two people, a husband and wife, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, for having provided documents related to nuclear weapons to a foreign government. The Rosenberg trial turned in large part on the testimony of Ethel Rosenberg's brother, David Greenglass, 
who said that he had given the nuclear documents from the Manhattan Project to his sister and his brother-in-law and that they gave those nuclear documents to the Russians. The assistant United States attorney who conducted the direct examination of Greenglass, who so dramatically drew out Greenglass's implication of the Rosenbergs, who would later claim he also persuaded the judge to impose the death penalty on the Rosenbergs, was Roy Cohn. Donald Trump's Roy Cohn. Mark Twain did not actually say, history never repeats itself, but it rhymes. But it rhymes. Roy Cohn and the Rosenbergs and Trump are relevant for more than just the wow factor of Cohn's role in ending the Rosenbergs and his role in starting Trump. The Rosenbergs were convicted on March 29, 1951. They were not executed until June 19, 1953. And for two years, the aftermath, the doubts about the propriety of the trial, the doubts about Roy Cohn, the argument that electrocuting both parents of two small children, whatever their crimes might have been, was barbaric and beneath us. Two years and nearly three months of the Rosenbergs and their fate and their nuclear documents dominating the national conversation. And here, perhaps, we go again. The Wall Street Journal reported late Sunday afternoon, quoting unnamed officials, that the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago was principally about one thing and one thing only, retrieving classified information. What follows that mattered and matters, but the point was to get the documents, the top secret classified documents related to nuclear weapons, back from Donald Trump. Investigators are now pursuing, write three journal reporters, the next steps of the department's criminal investigation into the handling of national security material and presidential records, a process that may take many months to play out. Many months. Many months of last week repeated over and over again while we wait on tetterhooks. Last week, a week in which Merrick Garland's confirmation of the search at Trump's crap shack was delayed by more than half an hour, apparently because at that time, somebody was relaying a message from Trump with a passive-aggressive threat to Garland and to this nation that millions were enraged by the search and, quote, the country is on fire. What can I do to reduce the heat? Which is, of course, a Trumpian blackmail way of saying, I can light the country on fire. You better let me skate. Months, many months full of last week when Trump doxed the FBI agents involved in the raid, when someone tried to breach the FBI office in Cincinnati and armed thugs surrounded the FBI office in Phoenix, when Homeland Security and the FBI had to issue a warning to personnel to be on the highest alert for domestic terrorism, when Fox News tried to pass off a photoshopped image as proof of a tie between the judge who signed the search warrant and Jeffrey Epstein, and two days later, Junior Trump spoke of that tie as if it were fact. Months, many months full of last week again and again. Last week in which Sean Hannity reassured us Trump can run for president while in prison in which every possible permutation of what is and what is not classified was screamed by thousands except the notation that if Trump can snap his fingers and declassify something or everything, President Biden could just as easily snap his fingers 
and reclassify something or everything in which every expert shouted every possible outcome and totally drowned out the only relevant one, the calm observation of Charlie Savage, the expert in the field from the New York Times, that of the three statutes referenced in the Trump warrant, quote, none of those laws turn on whether information was deemed to be unclassified. Months, many months, full of last week, again and again. Months of last week in which, by my count, Trump and his apologists, his cover-up team, his co-conspirators after the fact, offered at least 31 different flavors of excuses for him. Namely, Trump did nothing wrong because Trump says he declassified all of it, even though there is no record of him declassifying any of it. Trump did nothing wrong because even though there's no record of him declassifying it, he says he had a standing order that anything he took to the Oval Office was declassified. Trump did nothing wrong because though he disagrees with Trump, Jason Miller says Trump had a standing order that anything he took to Mar-a-Lago was declassified. Trump did nothing wrong because Cash Patel says even though there's no record of him issuing a standing order to declassify anything he took, Quote, he can literally stand over a set of documents and say these are now declassified. Trump did nothing wrong because even though there's no record of him standing over documents and saying these are now declassified, Charles Stimson of the Heritage Foundation says a document is still declassified even if Trump only told himself declassified even, quote, if a president has decided but not communicated it outside of his own head. Trump did nothing wrong because Trump says there were documents in the boxes that are covered by attorney-client privilege, and he wants them back. Trump did nothing wrong because Senator Ron Johnson thinks Mar-a-Lago is a pretty safe place. Trump did nothing wrong because Senator Rand Paul says the Espionage Act is un-American, and it's from World War I and yay treason. Trump did nothing wrong because North Carolina Congressman Dan Bishop says the FBI director is deep state and corrupt. You know, the FBI director Trump appointed. Trump did nothing wrong because Utah Congressman Chris Stewart says, heck, maybe it was aliens. Trump did nothing wrong because Florida Congressman Mike Waltz says Trump didn't prosecute Hillary Clinton when she, her emails... Trump did nothing wrong because Ohio Congressman Mike Turner says he just checked out books too long from the archivists. Trump did nothing wrong because Ohio Congressman Mike Turner also says many of the nuclear weapons, quote, you can find on your own phone. Trump did nothing wrong because Ohio Congressman Mike Turner also also says the documents were two years old. Trump did nothing wrong because Junior Trump says the judge who signed the search warrant was Jeffrey Epstein's lawyer, even though he wasn't Jeffrey Epstein's lawyer and Junior Trump just made that crap up. Trump did nothing wrong because Brett Baer says there was only one box containing top secret or sensitive compartmented information. Trump did nothing wrong because Peter Navarro says the nuclear secrets weren't secret and revealing them means more jobs. Trump did nothing wrong because John Turley says a subpoena was enough. Trump did nothing wrong because John Turley also says January 6th really screwed up Trump's calendar and he may have been too busy. Trump did nothing wrong because NBC sources say he didn't think he was leaving, so he had to pack in a hurry. Trump did nothing wrong because David Martosco says he didn't personally pack the boxes. 
Trump did nothing wrong because Sebastian Gorka says the FBI only went into Mar-a-Lago to plant listening devices. Trump did nothing wrong because Devin Nunes says the IRS and Benghazi and the government did January 6th. That's why. Trump did nothing wrong because his spokesman says everyone winds up bringing work home from the office. Trump did nothing wrong because he says the TV ratings for the January 6th committee hearings haven't been good, and that's why they raided his house. Trump did nothing wrong because at 5 p.m. Thursday afternoon, Dana Perino said, it's not like these were nuclear secrets. Trump did nothing wrong because Monica Crowley says there were nuclear secrets, but they waited a year and a half to search for them. Trump did nothing wrong because Breitbart says they waited the whole weekend before searching his dump. Trump did nothing wrong because Will Cain says Nixon said when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal, even though Nixon walked that back 17 days later to say he only meant in national emergencies. And oh, by the way, Nixon had to resign for doing illegal president things. And of course, Trump did nothing wrong because they all say the FBI found nothing and nothing they found was classified. And anyway, all of the nothing they found was all planted by the FBI, planted by the FBI, even though, according to Trump's attorney, Christina Bob, Trump and family members were in New York, a couple blocks from where I'm recording this, watching the feed from the various security cameras at Mar-a-Lago as the FBI searched it, planted invisibly. All of this, of course, obscures the only real debate we should be having. Trump stole nuclear secrets. The standard sentence for violations of 18 U.S.C. 793 is 10 years per count But under Sarbanes-Oxley, the bill passed in 2002 to cover the destruction of documents involved in a federal investigation, it's 20 years per count. So which do you pursue him with? Or do you go back to the actual Espionage Act and pursue him as they did the CIA officer Aldrich Ames, who spied for the KGB and got a life sentence in 1994 and is still in there as of today in Terre Haute, Indiana? Life sentence? Well, because we are not the same barbaric people we were when we executed Julius and Ethel Rosenberg in 1953 after they were convicted of giving nuclear secrets to Russia, convicted thanks to the work of Roy Cohn, the future teacher of Donald Trump. Still ahead on Countdown, why aren't more people recognizing the disaster of baseball's marketing poster boy being suspended until next year for using steroids? Plus, the day I met Salman Rushdie and wondered if he had enough security. In worsts, the murder of Freya the Walrus in Norway. And it is Elvis Presley week. And guess who probably did the last commercial for an Elvis Presley concert? Me. I'll play it for you. That's next. This is Countdown. From BBC Radio 4, 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think you could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Just ahead, the day I met Salman Rushdie. Worst persons who really are the worst. And Elvis Presley died 45 years ago this week, and I cannot be certain I was the last. But if I'm wrong, I'm still one of the last people to be the voice of a radio commercial for a live Elvis Presley concert. Yes, I'll play it for you. And I have a major complaint about it. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need somewhere in this country whom you can help. Every dog has its day. Today, that dog is Cheer Bear. Three years old, 26 pounds, very active, loves long walks and long naps, loves other dogs who play with him. Big smile, jet black hair. He is at uh, Hounds and Pounds, our friends in New Jersey, waiting for his forever family. If you are interested, go to my account for Dogs in Need, Tom Jumbo Grumbo on Twitter, to see Cheer Bear and get the links that will take you to the website where he is. You can also help Cheer Bear by retweeting my tweet about him. Spread the word. It is at Tom Jumbo Grumbo on Twitter. Thank you kindly.
Coming up on Countdown, why would a baseball player already making $340 million take steroids? And three people who are truly the worst persons in the world. But now, postscripts to the news, some headlines, some thoughts, some snark. Dateline Washington, the latest hip faux outrage from the right that as part of the Inflation Reduction Act that President Biden will sign this week, the Internal Revenue Service will hire 87,000 armed IRS agents. IRS agents with guns? Oh, noes! Brian Kilmeade of Fox News, one of the dumbest people there, said they are, quote, Joe Biden's new army. They will hunt down and kill middle class taxpayers who don't pay enough. Apart from the widely noted facts that dead taxpayers can't pay taxes and are thus of no use to the IRS, the other flaw in the paranoia is it's not true. For one reporter in Washington comes this calculation. Less than 1% of the 87,000 new hires at the IRS will be criminal investigation special agents who may carry firearms. Most will be public specialists who will answer the phone calls from citizens or IT specialists who will try to make the IRS computers work for a change. And this report was reported by the White House correspondent of Fox News. Dateline Silt, Colorado. Locals are trying to figure out if there is a cover-up or just not enough to prosecute. In the latest case of Jason Boebert, the 'er ne'er-do-well husband of the second dumbest Republican in the House, Lauren Boebert, the Denver Post obtained 911 calls from panicked neighbors who claimed Boebert had threatened them with a gun, might have been drunk and had already run over one of their mailboxes with his car on August 4th. Quote, this was clearly a serious situation as there were two 911 calls, five deputies and at least four families involved. That according to David Wheeler, the head of an anti-Bobert group called American Muckrakers. The good news is that unlike the 2004 incident involving Jason Bobart, he did not expose himself to young women at a bowling alley. And Dateline, Pennsylvania. The news continues to be positive, if not exactly good, for Sir Salman Rushdie after he was stabbed on Friday while on stage at a literary event in upstate New York. And as you probably know, he's off the ventilator. He can talk. He has made jokes. Questions remain about the apparent lack of protection for the 75-year-old writer under an Iranian fatwa since 1989. And the one time I met this man underscored the inconsistency of the protection he gets. Fifteen years ago, my then-girlfriend Katie Turr was a huge Harry Potter fan. I have no problems mentioning that I like the books, too. Somehow, this news got around to the publishers, and the next thing I knew, I was introducing the author J.K. Rowling at Carnegie Hall, and I was invited to the party that preceded the release of the last of the Potter books at 12.01 a.m., July 21st, I think it was, 2007. Katie and I were in line to pick up our copies. MSNBC sent a camera crew to record this historic moment, and the photographer rushed up, stood in front of us, and pointed the camera back towards us. Just then, the man ahead of me in line ducked, kind of freaked out, and told them not to videotape him. What are you doing? The photographer said, who are you? And pointing to me said, we're here to shoot this guy. The gentleman in front paused, then laughed, then turned to look at us. It was Salman Rushdie. And I don't know which one of us was more surprised to see the other. He was very pleasant. He had apparently seen the show. We talked about the books. He also thought they were real well done. 
I didn't ask him why there was no bodyguard with him, apparently, nor apparently anybody at all with him. But coverage of the nightmare last Friday seems to be pretty universal. He tries to live a normal life whenever he can. And maybe, just maybe, the apparent lack of security at the Chautauqua Literary Event in upstate New York was not entirely the organizers doing. Every time since our brief meeting that I have seen or heard a Harry Potter reference, I have thought of Salman Rushdie and hoped that he indeed knew best on the subject of when to bring along a friend. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Just one sports story that because of its implications should be the only thing being talked about right now, at least in baseball, but instead it has almost fallen off the radar in less than 72 hours since it happened. The man whom baseball chose 18 months ago as the centerpiece of its overall marketing strategy, the star moving forward, the guy they put on the cover of their most popular video game, whom they put in every commercial for the sport, whom they had say in these commercials, I am here to change the game, whose team gave him a 14-year contract extension worth $340 million guaranteed just last year, This guy has been suspended for using steroids. He will not play another game until May of next year at the earliest. But there's nothing to see here. There's no new steroid problem in baseball. There's no scandal. It's just one guy who didn't know he had to use the masking agent in addition to the steroid. It's not a tornado on the horizon. It's not worth even wondering if anybody else is doing steroids at the moment. He's just a lone wolf. Well, even if Fernando Tatis Jr. is a lone wolf, even if already making $340 million, he took the old school steroid Clostebol to what? Build even more muscles so he could get an even better contract for the season of 2035? Even if he's a lone wolf, it's a big old-fashioned baseball scandal. Tatis explained he had inadvertently taken Clostebol to treat the fungal skin infection pleasantly known as ringworm. Unfortunately, his team, the San Diego Padres, are beginning to wonder, and their general manager blistered Tatis on the record in an interview hours after the suspension was announced. Last year, Tatis suffered a confusing shoulder injury. Last winter, he broke his wrist, supposedly in a motorcycle accident, and initially told no one. But it's possible whatever is wrong with Tatis's health is the least of baseball's problems here. It's been eight years since any superstar was dogged by accusations of the use of banned performance-enhancing drugs, that would have been Alex Rodriguez, and nearly 20 years since steroids were the enhancer of choice, it had been human growth hormone most of the time since then. In the time since the Rodriguez era and before that, the Barry Bonds era, a new time developed in the game, the three true outcomes baseball version. It seems as if every batter gets only one of three results, a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. In 2019, Major League hitters broke the all-time record for total homers in one season by 11%. The home run splurge, which may have plateaued, has been attributed to better instruction, teaching batters about launch angle and barrels, only hitting the ball with the meatiest part of the bat. 
I have not been alone in wondering, as the history of Major League Baseball exceeded the 150-year mark, if there was really enough new coaching methodology to account for the latest explosion in home runs, or if maybe we were experiencing, and just didn't know it yet, another era of PEDs. Who knows? Maybe Tatis really did get ringworm and really did use medication without checking if one of the ingredients was a steroid so old school that an earlier version was the primary drug used by those doped-up East German Olympians of the 60s and 70s. And those weird, sudden, dramatic injuries he's had, the kind so often associated with the side effect of steroid use, those were just coincidences, maybe. Or, maybe... Tatis has just joined the Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, Roger Clemens Society. And this is the real problem nobody in baseball is talking about, as they never talk about it until it's too late. One thing has always been true about that society of PED users. There are always other members waiting to be discovered. Still ahead, Elvis Presley is still dead. I will play you the commercial I made for him when I was 18 and when he was still alive. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. Our bronze winner, Texas perpetual embarrassment Ted Cruz, speaking at a fascist fish fry in Gardnerville, Nebraska on Saturday, making not one but two transphobic slurs to the maddened crowd. Cruz insisted the swimmer Leah Thomas, quote, is a dude, he looks like Michael Phelps, unquote. Then he said of an actual working senator, quoting, Elizabeth Warren told reporters that a guy came up to her and said, I would have voted for you if only you had a penis. In today's Democrat Party, how do we know she doesn't? How could you possibly know? Well, this much we do know after he failed to defend his own wife against Trump. Ted Cruz doesn't have any testicles. The silver winner, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, if you actually still need a reason to vote Democratic in the fall after the, you know, the coup thing and the nuclear secrets thing, just remember how stupid this man who might be Speaker is. Let me ask you this question, he whined on the House floor. Is America better off today than they were two years ago? Let me see, two years ago is what? August of 2020, what's going on in August of 2020? Oh, pandemic raging uncontrolled no vaccine, insane president posse, murder of George Floyd. Yeah, you know what, Kev? America is way better off now. But there's a second part to this. Let me reread McCarthy's quote. Is America better off today than they were two years ago? This McCarthy could be the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and he is a flat-out moron. But the gold goes to, and, and usually the worst person in the world is not actually the worst person in the world. It's, it's hyperbole. I think you caught on by now about this, but this one is legit worst. I may or may not have these names right. I've researched as well as I could in somebody else's language and within somebody else's bureaucracy, but I believe the award should be shared by Liv Holmfjord, chief of the Norwegian Directorate of Fisheries, Olaf Lekver, spokesman for that directorate, and Bjornar Selnaskeran, the Minister of Fisheries of Norway. This is about Freya, a 1,300-pound walrus who has for many weeks been cavorting around the waters of the Norwegian capital, Oslo. 
she should not have been there. They think her real home was 1,200 miles north. They think climate change drove her south. Freya jumped onto piers in the Oslo waters and climbed onto boats big and small, sometimes sinking the small ones because she weighed 1,300 pounds. She chased people on kayaks and paddle boards, probably because walruses are very social creatures, and she appeared to be alone. And we guess she just sort of thought she could play with the humans since there were no walruses to be found. And those humans, including fisheries director Holmfjord and fisheries minister Skeron, warned people in Oslo that they could get hurt playing with her or taking pictures of her or trying to feed her. So naturally, if the people didn't stop doing those things, the government would have to kill Freya the walrus. And Sunday, the Norwegian government killed Freya the walrus because people were too stupid to leave her alone or because the government was too stupid to think, hey, uh, you get those people who want to take that risk? Okay, fine. Sign waivers. You get hurt, it's your problem. They also did not explore tranquilizer darts for Freya or for the idiots who interacted with her. The fisheries spokesman, Mr. Lekfer, said moving Freya somewhere else was, quote, too high risk. He did not explain to whom it was too high risk. Clearly, it couldn't have been more of a risk to Freya since the Norwegian government chose the other option of killing her. Spokesman Lekfer, Director Holmfjord, and Minister Skeron did not say how they killed the lonely walrus. They claim it was humane. One wonders if Freya viewed it as such. But there are also several larger points here. Exactly when did we humans get the idea that our species is more valuable than Freya's is? Have you seen what humans have been doing lately? You want to compare Freya to, say, Ted Cruz, Johnny Depp, Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump? More particularly, she moved to Oslo because of climate change, which I do not think has been caused by walruses. And ultimately, on the subject of somebody getting injured, humans or Freya, to be blunt about it, there are apparently only 225,000 walruses left in the world, as opposed to 5,379,000 Norwegians. You do the math. It would not surprise if this story, which had already gone worldwide by midday Sunday, costs two or three people their jobs, maybe more than two or three people, because even in a small country, there are always bureaucrats in the middle happy to anonymously kill an animal to protect their own tourist trade. But for now, Liv Holmfjord, Director of Norwegian Directorate of Fisheries, Olaf Lekfer, Directorate Spokesman, and Minister of Fisheries Bjornar Selnaskeran, what do you think of the ratio is of the remaining walruses to the number of useless bureaucrats in Norway, today's worst persons in the world? From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hold up. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah I, yeah because you gotta think Love he's it. gonna guard he don't care about guarding he's gonna guard he's gonna exactly. guard like you see him in the exactly. olympics he's gonna guard and then on I'm top of that like that see that Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what so. I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because they ain't it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Finally, our number one story on the countdown, back to my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell. And this, you will see far and wide, is Elvis Presley week. Because tomorrow, Tuesday the 16th, is the 45th anniversary of Elvis Presley's death. August 16th, 1977, Elvis dies. Not on tour, but on toilet in Memphis, Tennessee, leading to the timeless question, does this mean you don't get paid? And at the age of 63, I may be the youngest person alive who can say this. I did a commercial for an Elvis Presley concert. In August of 1977, Elvis was scheduled to do a series of live shows in the Northeast. And the day he died, he was leaving for Portland, Maine, and two nights at the then brand new Cumberland County Civic Center there. Then Utica, New York on the 19th, Syracuse the next night, the Nassau County Coliseum on Long Island on the 21st, then Rupp Arena in Kentucky, Roanoke, Virginia, two stops in North Carolina, and wrapping up with two nights at the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum. Having lived through the end... I have to say that by this point, Elvis Presley was something of a self-parody. Arriving at one concert, he fell out of the limo. He was enormous. He could barely sing. And when he sang, he was now essentially a country-western singer, and not a very good one. We had an album-oriented commercial rock station run by Cornell students in Ithaca, New York, and I do not remember ever hearing an Elvis song played during one of the regular shows, maybe on the Saturday Night Oldies show. But the thought of playing Hound Dog or Jailhouse Rock, which are genuine rock and roll classics, would have provoked laughter or maybe a walkout by the disc jockeys. 
So when our advertising sales manager walked into my office in July 1977 and said, we have a 100-spot buy from Elvis Presley's concert promoter, there was only one possible answer to this. Why? Well, it turned out we were an hour or so from the War Memorial Coliseum in Syracuse where Elvis was to play on August 20th, and the promoters had bought time on every radio station that played music between Syracuse and us. They got out a map, pulled out a protractor, and drew a circle representing a 60-mile radius. There we were, WVBR-FM Ithaca, New York, out at the edge. That summer, I was the operations director of the station. I was in charge, filling in for the general manager who had a summer job in Rochester, New York, Larry Epstein. Why Larry thought I would be good at this, I will never, never know. In any event, the sales manager next asked me who on earth could do an Elvis commercial on a rock station that was known for playing entire Jethro Tull album sides after 11 at night. I said I had no idea, somebody who would want the 5% commission for making the ads, and he said, how about you? The buck does stop here, right? And he handed me the script they wanted, and I swallowed hard and read it out loud. And I don't still have a copy of that original script, but I know this is a real close recreation, because you don't forget something like imagining the impact of this playing on the coolest FM rock radio station in four adjoining counties. Here goes. Elvis, 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 live, live, live. Elvis Presley, the one and only, the immortal Elvis, live at the Onondaga County War Memorial Auditorium in Syracuse. Elvis, 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 one night only, Saturday night, August 20th. Elvis, 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 live, live, live. Yeah. Turned out, of course, it was Elvis, 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 dead, dead, dead. Anyway... There was something in there about prices and where you could send a letter and a self-addressed stamped envelope for tickets, and it was supposed to be done in full reverb, that old-time AM radio echo effect, 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 effect. I think they wanted one or two soundful pops from Elvis's greatest hits, and I wondered if in our library of 5,000 or so records in the back, we even had Elvis's greatest hits, and I'm not exaggerating about that script. There were at least two dozen exclamation points on that page. We would not have put on a commercial with that many exclamation points in it, even if it was for a Beatles reunion live in our back studio. We can't run this, I told the sales manager. They want everything in the A schedule, the sales manager said, meaning they were paying our top rate. Did you ask Corn? I asked, invoking our program director, Glenn Cornelius. He says we can run it, no Elvis songs in it, but... And I said, not like this. Did you call them? Will they let us tone it down a little? And he said, the account is yours. Rewrite it, tone it down. If they say yes, this is what, 50 bucks for you? Now, don't laugh about the 50 bucks in 1977 money in Ithaca, New York. My rent that summer per month was 51 bucks. So I toned it down. Turned out the promoters didn't give a crap if I toned it down. They just wanted something played about Elvis every hour. I recorded it, and soon the mystified listeners of the coolest FM rock station in four adjoining counties were hearing my flat, still slightly nasal 18-year-old voice saying the same thing like six, seven times a day. And like everything else, I made a copy of this. Now, I swear, I used to record my broadcast and listen to them later and say, I've got to get better. Am I getting better? This doesn't sound better. So I still have this on a cassette, and I have a cassette player. So here it is, Elvis, 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 live, 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 
Tone down, tone down, tone down. Elvis Presley, live at the War Memorial Auditorium in Syracuse, Saturday, August 20th at 8.30 p.m. Tickets priced at $15, $12.50, and $10, plus 25 cents per ticket service charge. Tickets are on sale now at the auditorium box office and by mail. Send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Elvis, Auditorium Box Office, 515 Montgomery Street, Syracuse, 13202. That's Elvis, live at the War Memorial in Syracuse, August 20th. Hey, kid, you have a deviated septum. Actually, it's not bad for age 18. Anyway, there were people I knew then at the station and in town that lovely summer of 1977 who just assumed, who just told me that they assumed that that commercial was some kind of satire or gag on my part. So at least we knew they were listening. So this is how this turns out. We did a nightly half-hour newscast called World Report at 5.30 every day, and it was a good newscast, and that title was neither ironic nor undeserved. We were affiliated with ABC Radio. We ran the Howard Cosell sports commentary every night. We had a stock report. We had local reporters. I did a sportscast, and our news director and my friend of 47 years, Peter Schacknow, who is still on the board of directors of the radio station and still in the business at CNBC, he did the news. Pete had just gone into our main announce booth and I was just polishing my sports copy when every bell on our United Press International Wire Service teletype machine went off. And this is where that timeless question I mentioned several minutes ago comes into play. The UPI Bulletin, 5.28 p.m., I think, datelined Memphis, Tennessee, urgent, music legend Elvis Presley, dead, aged 42. As the clanging of the bulletin bells faded in the background, I ripped the death notice off the wire and sprinted, I could still sprint then, to Pete's announce booth. The sweep hand of the giant clock right in front of him, so giant it was twice the size of my head, was nearing the 12. I think this is your new lead, Pete. I'll run in whatever else they send. And I jammed the door open and closed. He read the copy, looked up at me, listened as the disc jockey introduced him, and pausing only to separate the wisecrack from his actual broadcast, he says, Does this mean you don't get paid? Good evening, I'm Peter Schacknow, and this is World Report. Elvis Presley has died. A bulletin report from United Press International, etc. I then raced into our main studio to physically remove my commercial from the rack of cartridges in which the ads all sat, because my main concern now was that it had to be scheduled to play soon on our air, maybe in the middle of the newscast. And honestly, the last thing we needed was me on tape suddenly appearing on the air saying... Elvis Presley, live at the War Memorial Auditorium in Syracuse, Saturday, August 20th at 8.30 p.m. Tickets priced at yeah, $15.12. More like the Elvis Memorial, am I right? So that was my concern. It was not Peter Shacknow's. While I was frantically looking for my Elvis commercial cart, and we were playing an ABC News report from correspondent Russell Spur in Hong Kong, Pete spoke over an intercom from the announce booth, and he asked me again, No, seriously, does this mean you don't get paid for the commercials? Guess what? It sure as hell did mean I wouldn't get paid. To this day, now 45 freaking years... Maybe Elvis is dead. Maybe he's alive. Maybe he can be found sitting home all alone, age 87. If you can't come around, at least please telephone. I don't know. I don't care. All I know is, Elvis Presley, you owe me money. 
I've done all the damage I can do here. This is where I ask you to rate and review the podcast. Lie. Tell them it's great. Don't mention the 18-year-old me clip. The Countdown theme from Beethoven's Ninth, arranged, produced, and performed by Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Produced by TKO Brothers. The Elvis Presley clip we did not play was not by Elvis Presley. The other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. Our sports music, the Olbermann theme, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Incorporated. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was the great Jonathan Banks from Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. Everything else is my fault or the fault of the 18-year-old version of me. All right, that is Countdown for this, the 586th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. A new episode tomorrow. Until then, I'm Keith Alderman. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Dealing with pests can be a pain. But relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.